I want you to know something though, church. Here it is. I absolutely love the church. You say, I love the church, and you say, well, I do too. But let me tell you why I love the church. I believe that the church is the front lines of the only lasting thing in this world of ours. The kingdom of God is it's the front lines of the only truly lasting thing. See, we have got to realize and recognize that the church, the family of God, is what God is wanting to use. And all through the Bible it tells us that God wants His people to come alive and to be the witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all the other uttermost parts of the world. We have got to be what we need to be. That's the reason I love the church, because of the power that God has given us as the church of God. The interesting thing that I want us to recognize is here at North Etowah Baptist Church, I want you and me to get it right. I, I want this church, my church, your church, our church, I want us to get it right. In order for us to get it right, what we need to be doing and what God has called us to do, I believe we need to study a famous church. Or maybe, we should say it a little bit differently, an infamous church. I believe this study will give us some basic principles and dynamics and beliefs that can help our church today 2017 survive and thrive. Now this church, this infamous church that I want us to study, well, they don't have a church bulletin we can look to. And they don't have a church budget that we can look back to to find out more about them. Uh, they don't really have a newsletter or an internet website for us to look to. But we have a letter written to this church by its founder. This church is the church at Corinth. And the founder of that church, as led by God, was the Apostle Paul. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we'll start with chapter 1 here in just a moment. Because we want to see more about this church. And to give you just a little bit of background, before we start reading Scripture and before we get into 1 Corinthians here, let's realize what's going on in Corinth. A little bit of background. The Syrians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and even some Jews have mingled into this area called Corinth. It's become a cosmopolitan city. That means just everybody is, everywhere. there's all sorts of nationalities, religions, everything coming together. There's also a large slave population there. Geographically, Corinth was at a crossroads. It's located on this isthmus that is a little strip of land that connects northern Greece. Northern Greece is where Athens was at. And it connects southern Greece where Achaia was at. And so you've got this little strip of land that brought everybody together. If you wanted to go to Athens, you had to travel through Corinth. If you wanted to go to Achaia from Athens, you had to travel through Corinth. This, this really meant all roads are leading to Corinth. 
virtually. A lot of them there in Greece were leading this direction. Also, there's bodies of water on both sides. And so a lot of ships would come into harbor. A lot of, a lot of people would come in. So this city of Corinth, there's a lot of atmosphere, a lot of things going on. It became a very rich city. So are you starting to get what Corinth is? It's a rich city. People all over the world are coming into Corinth. The city leaders are those wealthy merchants that just loved money. So you've got, you're starting to get the picture of what's going on. Corinth, though, became primarily known for its sin. Corinth became primarily known as a mecca of sexuality. Now, the leading religion of Corinth promoted prostitution. You see, in Corinth, there was a temple there to Aphrodite. And Aphrodite, each day, many of the priestesses would go out in order to help you fulfill and make you feel religious. To have a religious experience in Corinth these priestesses would go out in order to do that and to bring you a religious experience and to bring more money into the coffers. In short, Corinth, a rich city, but a sin-soaked city. A city just full of debauchery. With all that in mind, here comes Paul. Paul's going to start a church there. Can you imagine the challenges? How God would lead Paul to come into this crazy uh, uh, atmosphere? How can you imagine? I can't imagine what he was going through as he was called to go to Corinth and start a church. What an unlikely place. What a challenge. I want to pause just a second and say this. We have a challenge in our own local church, don't we? We realize it's not easy. We've been told that Christ came to seek and to save the lost and then he left us to be his witness in this world and, and he wants us to talk to those people those people, they can be difficult sometimes. And, and they're in difficult situations. And, 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 and we are called to go to them. And you see what's going on here? You see, God calls me and you to go to the Corinths of the world. He has called his people, even in this day and age, to go to the Corinths of the world. We are called to go and seek out and be, be witnesses to those people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God calls us to follow Paul's example. I'm sure Paul thought, oh my, going in. But he went and trudged forward going into Corinth to start this church. God wants us to follow that same example to go to difficult places, to go and enter into difficult, hard conversations. This morning, maybe you need to be asked this, where is your Corinth? Where is God calling you to go right now? 
Is your Corinth a family member who rejects God? Is your Corinth the workplace where your co-workers seems like all of them are embracing sinful attitudes? Is your Corinth the school where you're going, where you have got to be and you are being placed in the atmosphere to be the witness that God's called you to be? Is your Corinth a spouse that makes fun of your religion and your faith? What is your Corinth today? Getting back to our story shortly after Paul was called and went to Corinth, you know what he did? He met some friends. Priscilla and Aquila. He met this couple there and they became good friends. Now we don't know for sure if Priscilla and Aquila were uh, uh, Christians before Paul got there, but we do know that as Paul was leaving after his time in Corinth, we do know that they were Christians then. That reminds me of something, friends. You're called to go to Corinth, but when you are called to go to Corinth, God has already gone there, and he's prepared the way for you. And he has gone where he's calling you to be because, you know, we always say we want to go where God's at. So we are looking to see God show us where you're working so we can join you in your work. And so when we see him working in Corinth, whatever your Corinth is, we are going into Corinth to be a part of God's work there in Corinth. And I believe this is a reminder to me and you that when we get there, God's already there. And God has prepared the way and he's got us some friends in that area. Maybe he's got just himself there, or made the way easier for you. But he is there in the Corinth of our life. So Paul goes to Corinth. After Paul had gone to Corinth, after about 18 months, that's a year and a half, the church is doing pretty good. The church is healthy. The church there in Corinth is surviving and even thriving. And it's starting to grow and it's continuing to grow. So after 18 months, Paul leaves Corinth and he goes on about building and finding and founding other churches on his missionary journey. Six years have passed now and Paul receives word from Chloe that Corinth has, well, they're suffering. They're going back to their old ways again. He receives word that the church is just sort of stagnant. The church is just sort of apathetic. The church is just sort of holding its own barely. And he says, boy, I hate that. I'm going to write a letter to them, try to encourage them and, and give them a strength along the way. As he's writing this letter, I want to point something out to you. Before we read this, I want you to notice verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 2 it says, To all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to recognize and realize that verse 2 tells us it's for me and you too. Paul was led by God to write this, and it is not only for the church at Corinth, but it's to you and me as well here in 2017. 
You see, God knew that you and I were going to face some of these same challenges and some of these same temptations and these challenges. And so he wrote this to encourage you and me today as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1, God's word says this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then he thanks God for him. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Then in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But then after he, he greets them and he thanks God for them, and then he gets down to, hey, well, you know, this is one reason I'm writing. He says this, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been recorded, reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one must say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of your word and let me be your mouthpiece, I pray. And let your word not return into you void. Help us to hear from you right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this first part of 1 Corinthians, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. You heard as I was reading the good stuff. Paul's praising, Paul's thanking, and then he gets down to the meat and tells why he's upset. But some of the good stuff is this. He says, you know, church, you're a blessed congregation. You are blessed, you've been blessed. Why do you keep looking at things like everything is just half empty? It's just terrible, and you're looking for bad stuff to happen. He says, why are you doing that? Consider how blessed you are. He tells them, he says, you are saints. 
That's in verse 2. It says, called to be saints together. What's that word saint mean? That word saint means you've been set apart. You're set apart. You're set apart to God. Set apart from the world. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, wake up. It's good. You have been set apart. You're saints. Take your faith. And, you know, your faith has got to be what you do and how you live. Recognize that and quit living in the doldrums all the time. That's what Paul's saying. You're saints. Realize and recognize the good news. Secondly, he said, you've been led by some good leaders. You've had some great leaders. He talks about Sosthenes. He was the leader of the Jewish synagogue who became a Christian. He said, he said, you know, you've had some good leaders. And you've had Peter and you've had Paul and you've had Apollos. You've had some experienced leaders teaching you there in Corinth. And he said, you've got to remember their biblical teaching. And they keep on teaching you week after week. Don't let it return to you void. I believe we can make application to here as well. We've had some great leaders at this building, at this church at North Etowah. You've had all the ones that you're thinking of, Preacher Pack. You've had uh, Creaseman. You've had Atkins. You've had, just start naming names. I'm not going to name them all, Lester. You've had, name any of the names, Curtis. Name every name you can think of we've had. We've been blessed with some great leaders here. That's what Paul's saying to us in this century as well. He said, you're saints. You've had some great leaders. You've had the preaching preached to you. You've had the Bible. And then he goes on. He says, you're blessed because you're incredibly gifted as well. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you, look at verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinth was blessed with people of every spiritual gift. Now, I don't want you to be big-headed, but North Etowah, we are blessed with people of every spiritual gift. We have people of faith. We bring something up, do they say, let's do it. What's, what's money to God? God can handle it. If God leads us to it, he can lead us to it. Those people of faith are so inspiring to, to so many of the rest of us. You have people that are teachers that are blessed with the gift of teaching. You have people blessed with the gift of music. We have, we have people get blessed with the gift of helps and mercy. We have people that have been blessed with the gift of hospitality, of welcoming. We have people gift with a gift, uh, blessed with the gift of evangelism. Those who their heart just bleeds to reach out to others. You see, we have been blessed just like this church at Corinth. We have so many blessings. And here's what I think God wants us to do. What Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth. Quit looking at the negative and look at how great God has been. Start looking around and say, wow, thank you God. You know, I believe we need to do more of that here at North Etowah. We need to look around in the pews around us and say, thank you for him. God, thank you for her. Lord, thank you for that situation. God, thank you for blessing us with this, taking care of us with that. 
We are so guilty, just like the Corinthians, of looking inward and, and not looking to what God has blessed with, but we look at what the stuff we don't have or don't do or this person doesn't do or doesn't do it the way I want, want him or her to do it, and we've got to get back to what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Just thank you, God. We are a truly blessed people. Oh, that's wonderful. All those blessings are great. But because of a certain problem, because of something that the Corinthians lacked, all these blessings weren't really getting through. You see, they lacked unity. They had a lack of unity. They were a church that was coming apart at the seams. In verse 10 it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. That word for divisions there is, is, is a word that literally means plowed up. So, so Paul is saying, that sweet, sweet spirit, you want to know what happened here? He's saying it's been plowed up and plowed under. He goes on and says that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul is saying that you need to be united in the same mind and the same thought. That word for united is the word that comes from the word that, that he, was a, he was a net builder, you remember, a net mender. And he would make nets for fishing. So he used a word that's related. That word united was one that meant coming together, making that net, mending it back together, fixing it. It was also a word that a physician may use to set a broken bone to heal. So it's a healing type of word, this word united. So he was saying there's some relationships that need to be healed. He's saying there's some relationships and some things that need to be mended here in the church at Corinth. That unity needs to be restored. They need to be of the same mind and the same judgment. That same mind is referring to those non-negotiables, those essentials of the faith. The same mind means salvation. The same mind is referring to Jesus is the only way. He's the truth, the way, the life, and he is the only way. That same mind is in believing that God's word is true and error, infallible. It is perfect. That same mind is those non-negotiables that we believe in Christendom. We believe that there is only one way, and that is through Jesus. But then he says the same judgment as well. What does that mean? The same judgment means be united in thought. That same judgment means be united in the non-essentials. That, that's just an area of an opinion where you have your opinion, I have my opinion. Somebody else has another opinion. But he says we need to be united in that. And what he means by this is not that we all just say, okay, we're just all going to have the same way about us and we're going to jump in line and be all little robots. No, that is not what he's saying. He's saying we've got to agree to disagree sometimes. And having the same judgment doesn't mean you have to have the same opinion. It just means you're unified. If, 
if we if if I disagree with you, you disagree. We just agree to disagree on those non-essential things. Unity is so vital. Without unity, the church is going to become less and less and less vital in the world. You see, I believe that the unity of the church is a big reason, or lack of the unity in the church, is a big reason that we are, we're not as vital as we once were. We're not as uh, dynamic as we once were. We're not as listened to in the world as we once were. Because, you see, the world has, in, has infiltrated us and gotten in. And it's as, well, uh, shucks, I was talking to a couple of deacons this morning, and we talk, started talking about me, my, mine. So many of us have let the world infiltrate the church. And it's all about me, it's all about my, it's all about me, and it's all about my number one and who I am, and I'm, I'm in charge. We've got to get rid of that attitude in the church. You see, the Corinthian church, they had squabbles. But their main problem was the factions in that church. They had little subsets here. They go talk over in the corner. They had this little click here. They had their little talk and they would do this. And they had this personality club back there. And they each centered on a particular church leader. And they had have this and have that. And the church stopped focusing on the message. But was focused on the messenger. You see, the message is the essential part. The messenger is the part that's an opinion. Because some of us are saying, well, I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Jesus. That's in 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. If you're a Paul, you say, I'm of the one who founded the church. You say, well, I'm of Apollos. He was a great communicator the way I read scripture and he knew how to make scripture really come alive. Somebody else said, well, I'm of Cephas. You know, Cephas is Peter. And he, they say, I'm of Cephas, but I'm one of the original 12, the one that Jesus handpicked to be of his disciples. That's who I am. But you may think by reading this, you say, well, those that said I'm of Jesus, they got it right, but not quite yet. If you see, I follow Christ. Sometimes that's the most dangerous one. Because they're the ones that say, I am more spiritual than you. Those that look down their nose at others. Because Paul goes on to say, you've got to do away with these factions. You've got to unite around Jesus. Because verse 13 says, is Christ divided? He says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, we've got to get back to Christ above all. We've got to get back to keeping Christ and Jesus and his cross central. If we orient ourselves around anything other than Christ, if we orient ourselves around a building, around a ministry, around a program, around a anything then we are organizing and orienting ourselves around the wrong thing. We can't orient ourselves around a person, 
other than the cross and Jesus Christ. We have got to always promote and proclaim Christ above all. If we orient ourselves around anything other than Christ and his cross, him crucified, buried, and rose again, then we're orienting around the wrong thing. Verse 17 and 18, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross must be and must continue to be our emphasis, our focus. Let us learn from the church at Corinth. Today, do you have some relationships that need, that need to be mended like they did in Corinth? Is there some conversations that need to take place between you and someone else? Do you this morning have the cross of Jesus as the central focus of your life? Because you see, you've got to have the central focus of Christ just like the church. And if a member of the church doesn't have the cross as a central focus, then that means the church itself doesn't because we're all unified together. Is Christ above all the focus of your life? Let's just allow God to work through us. Let the Holy Spirit talk to us during a time of response. And let the Spirit have His way during this time. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now that we would learn from this church at Corinth and I pray that you would anoint this time of response, that whatever occurs would be in accordance with your, with your power, with your will, that we would just listen to you and let your spirit reign. God, I pray that whatever needs to occur during this time, that you would empower us, anoint us, show us what you want us to do. And God, I pray then that we would respond the way you want us to respond. God, thank you. We praise you for this moment and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.